If you've got your Bible, why don't you grab it? I want to, we're going to read some of the Bible. Is that okay? Uh, if you don't have your Bible with you, that's okay, because the amazing Caitlin will be putting the Scriptures up on the screen, so you can read them there as well. Um, I've got quite a lot of Scriptures that I want to get through, because I want to get uh, a big idea uh, into a small moment for us, so that we can actually uh, get a handle on something that I think is really important, that I, on Facebook, I said it's one of the best kept secrets in church. It's the idea that God anoints us, that God's presence, His His power. There's something of a, of of the reality of who He is. Uh, actually, wants to come upon and dwell within us. Uh, and uh, so, I want to get into it. Is that all right this morning? So I will talk fast, okay? I've got no PowerPoint to slow me down. I've got my old school notes on a piece of paper, which usually means I end up shouting a lot and talking really fast. But it will, just so you know, I'll be having a good time. Anyway, first idea is this. Have you, ever, have you ever had a moment where things just come together really nice? Really, really nice. And I think uh, in sports, it's pretty, pretty, pretty awesome. I love it. How many of you played touch rugby? Ever played touch rugby? Have you ever played touch rugby where a double scissor comes off perfectly? Like a double scissor comes off perfectly and someone just goes whistling through the gap. It's one of those magic moments. If you're surf, you know, when you first get a really perfect re-entry, when you're first learning and you get it, you do know what I'm talking about? When, you, when it just goes perfect, when you land bolts on a big move on your skateboard, right? Am I losing anybody? I'm just trying to capture everybody. We are uh, surfing, uh, skateboarding, a uh, double scissors. Um, so when something goes great, it's, it, when something clicks, there's an awesome feeling around that click, right, where it just works. But, you know, sometimes you get an, an awesome sort of feeling when things go wrong too. I can remember when I worked at Pizza Hut, uh, until I became a pastor, that was my longest job, was my job at Pizza Hut. Uh, and I worked at Pizza Hut while I was st- studying as a teacher. And um, it was always good. Working at Pizza Hut was always good because you got free food. Well, at least you got free Pizza Hut. Uh, it was it's sort of like food. And uh, do you remember one of the things I really enjoyed? I loved it when things started to go wrong. I loved it when the pressure came on and then the team started to focus and people talked a little bit louder. And actually things were going wrong, but then they clicked. So even under this moment of pressure, sometimes that, that pressure pushes us into a place where things sort of click. My, my friend tells a story, so moving to another sort of idea. So you've got this idea of things clicking when they go good, and they can click when they go bad as well, right? Uh, a, a friend of mine tells a story. Of, she was hanging out with a, a bunch of all her cousins. You know, if you ever, you, she was like the oldest of the cousins. Anybody like the oldest of your group of cousins, and you sort of were in charge. You ended up being sort of like the only parent yeah yeah yeah. anyway uh my friend was like that she was about 11 and her and a bunch of cousins were all in the rumpus room of an uncle's house and they were playing soccer or something like that which you normally do indoors uh and they were to make a bit of space they were moving an upright piano Okay, anyone got an extended family like this? This sounds like my family, but yeah, we're generally speaking, the cousins are out doing all sorts, and the parents are drinking cups of tea somewhere, right? And uh, they were moving this upright piano, and as it was rolling along, it got caught in a rug and tipped, right? So it lands on, like, one of the cousins, and my friend, she's an 11-year-old girl, and something clicked. She grabbed the piano and tipped it back up to upright, right? And she tells the story, and she shakes when she tells the story because something just happened 
Like there's something that came upon her. Now, was it, was it just adrenaline? Was it fear? Maybe, right? But was it something more than that that came upon her in that moment where, it really, where she really needed something more than her own strength and her own ability? A friend of mine runs a building company in Auckland. His name's Stu. He's one of the elders in the Auckland church. Uh, and right through the global financial crisis, his building company grew in turnover every single year. Right At the same time, other building companies, his competitors, were going out of business. His company was growing. By the end of the global financial crisis, as a builder, he employed every person who had ever previously employed him. So the person he did his apprenticeship under was now working for him. The person who he did project management for was now working for him. His manager from Keith A. Holmes was now working for him across the global financial crisis. Now, was it, was it brilliance, intelligence, wisdom, understanding? I've met you. There's something more going on. Right? There's something more going on. Now, he is brilliant. He is intelligent. He worked really hard, but something came upon him in the area of business, which allowed him to produce a result that was exceptional. Right? There's something more going on, right? There's something more going on when a living old girl can lift up a piano, right? There's something more going on when your business grows and all the neighbors' businesses are struggling in the circumstances, right? I've got a friend, Simon Ray. He's a fine artist. He's a beautiful painter. He's not beautiful. He's quite ugly, but his paintings are amazing, right? He's not, I wouldn't say he's ugly. He's ordinary. Ordinary. He's not listening, so he's, he lives in Scotland now, so. Anyway, he would, he would say the same for me. Uh, anyhow. He was a fr- friend of ours through high school, and then he went to art school, as you do, um, and, he, and he painted did sculpture through art school, right? So across, across the time while he was at art school, he, um, he, he obviously worked really hard. It's a, it was a massively intensive program. He did, he did seventh form twice so that he could get his grades into the ni- high 90s so that he could get into this art school, right? Uh, and then right through art school, each year he entered into what was uh, is now doesn't happen anymore. He entered into a, like a fine arts competition and he won it every year, right? It was the telecom phone book cover competition, right? Now, you're going to have to push your mind back. Remember this, before we had the internet, there was a telephone book with everyone's name and their number written in it, right? Your grandmaster has one, right? No one else has got it. But uh, on the front cover, they always have these pieces of fine art. And what you don't know is that actually there were massive prizes. The people who won got massive prizes. So every single year, he won the, the like, whatever it was, the Whanganui or the Horizons District Council, whatever the area was. He was on the front cover. Every year through art school, he was on the front cover of that. He sold artwork every year at exhibitions, including to his tutors and the staff at the art school, bought his work all through. And two times out of four, he actually won the national prize for the Telecom Fine Art Award, right? He finished four years of university after paying all his fees and his living costs in Whanganui, right? He paid all of that, paid all his fees, and he had $20,000 plus in the bank at the end of it. Right? Now, was he just brilliant? Is he an exceptional artist? Yes, he is, but there's something more going on. And do you know, the reality is you can keep working hard, you can rely on your brilliance, but do you know what? Also, you can invite into your life by your attitude, by your disposition, and because of the grace of God, you can invite into your life that something more. That you can have a life where actually, yes, you're brilliant. Yes, you're awesome. But actually that people would recognize also that there's something more going on. Do you know what? I reckon you need a little bit of something more going on. 
How many people reckon you could need, you could use a little bit of more, a little bit something more going on? You could use a little bit more favor in your workplace. You could use a little bit more impact through your business. You could use a little bit more influence in your community, right? You need a little bit more going on, right? What you need is you need to understand the concept and the reality of the anointing of God. Now, it's not a mystical thing per se, although there's a mystical component to the understanding of it. I think the anointing of God is a real thing, right? You can understand it mystically, but I prefer to understand it phenomenologically. Sorry for using that on a Sunday morning. Anyway, anointing. I'm going to define it. This is my definition of the anointing. It's the arrival or the residence of God's divine presence, His power in the life of an individual or a community. So it's the arrival or the residence of God's divine power, His divine presence and power. We don't want God's power. We want God's presence and His power comes with Him. We actually want Him. Do you know in church, we don't honor God's power. We don't honor, we honor God and He is powerful. We, we don't honor God's love. We honor God as an actual person. He's a God we can relate to as a person, right? Imagine if someone just honored one aspect of who you are. Imagine if we just honored Duncan's hilarious jokes, right? And we would miss his beautiful singing voice, his kind heart for other people, his diligence and discipline around faith and in his workplace. We would miss the, the nuance of who a person is. And we can do the same with God. If we just focus too much on the attribute and just rather than allowing the attribute of God's power or his grace or his goodness to lead us to a revelation of the reality of his person. Amen. Very good. We're making an ex- excellent progress, class. You're doing such a good job. Okay, we're going to throw up scripture number one, and we're looking at First Samuel chapter 16, 11 to 15. This is one of the good examples in the Old Testament that gives us an idea of this thing, anointing, because this is an Old Testament, an ancient concept that's been translated into our New Testament realities. It says this, Samuel says to Jesse, are the, all the young men here, are these all your sons? He said, there's one more. He's the youngest. He's keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we'll not sit down until he comes. Recognize the story. Give me a wave. You know the story. Okay? This is a family with a lot of sons, and they're the youngest gets called from the field. Like they're having a big celebration. The youngest gets called from the field. This guy, Samuel, is the prophet. He's the only person in the world who can hear God speak. It's the Old Testament. God's doing things differently. Samuel's the only one God's talking to, right? And he's at this meal. He says, bring me your youngest son. Jump across to the next verse. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise and anoint him for this is the one. So moving on. Samuel took a horn, it was a big flask of oil, and anointed him in, in the middle of his brothers. So what happened is he's standing in his brothers, there's little David, he's a youngish teenager, maybe 14, maybe 15, right? His brothers are adults. And the prophet of God, the representative of God on earth, now takes a big jar of perfumed olive oil and pours it all over his head, right? And... The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward, and then Samuel went home. Next chapter, this guy David, as a 15 or 16-year-old, slays a giant and becomes a hero in battle, 
That's a story we've all heard before. But the story of his anointing is connected to the revelation of his of God's power through him, right? This is a this is this encapsulates this idea of anointing that God by through the, through his prophets would identify someone, call them out and pour oil on them as a symbol of the spirit of God coming upon them. Now, how many of you know Bible symbols are different to pagan symbols? Pagan symbols are symbols, Bible symbols actually invoke realities. Right, So we didn't symbolize the transformed life this morning. We invoke the reality of it. That's the power of sacrament. When we take communion, we're not symbolizing Jesus' death. We are invoking it. We're putting ourselves emotionally, physically. We're presencing ourselves back in that space in the upper room in relationship with Jesus, right? Same with marriage. When, 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 when a husband and wife walk down the aisle and they make promises together, we're not symbolizing promises. We're making real promises, right? We like to do it real. We want to keep it real. Very good. And that's the same with anointing. In the Old Testament, they pour the oil on, but it wasn't just about the oil. It was also about the Spirit of God coming. Now, in our modern Greek way of thinking, we think the Holy Spirit's just going to come, and we just want the Spirit, right? But in Hebrew, it's much more connected to the reality of the actual oil, not just this sort of a mystical thing. Are you with me? We're going to move on. So first of all, the first thing write down in your notes, if you're taking notes, the anointing calls us out. This picture of David, he was, he was literally sent into the back paddocks, but the anointing of God calls him forward and calls him out. Do you know, in your life, you need to understand the back paddock might be where you feel most comfortable, but it's not where God has called you. You might like the idea of being in the back paddock in your workplace, being in the back paddock in this community of faith. Me, you might like living in the back paddock in your marriage or the way you operate in your family. But God is calling you out of the back paddock and positioning you for influence and leadership. And it's His anointing that does it. Everyone say, called out. Right? You've been called out this morning. I'm calling you out. We are not going to be a church that has super pastors and everybody else. We are all the ministers of God. We are all called to have influence, leadership, and make a difference in the world because God has called us all out, right? Number two, we're called out for purpose. Everyone say purpose. I'm going to throw this scripture out. This is Exodus 29, 4-7. This is the anointing of Moses, uh, oh, sorry, Moses anointing Aaron as high priest, right? Aaron and his sons, you'll bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. You'll wash them with water. Theologians will notice this. Wash them with water. Baptism. Wash them with water. That's the picture. Then you'll take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, the robe, the ephod, the ephod, the breastplate. I don't know why this. The robe of, of the ephod, the ephod, the breastplate. And you'll gird them with intricately woven band of the ephod. Right? Happy you know jeans and a t-shirt is a lot easier than that. Okay, verse 6, you should put the turban on his head, and then you put the holy crown on the turban. How many people wearing a turban is one thing, but to wear a crown on a turban? Like these people, right, that's why not everyone gets to be the high priest, because not everyone could pull off a look like this, right? Verse 7, and you shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. The picture in Psalm 133 talks about the anointing oil on the head of Aaron that flows down over all his garments, right? Now, see, Aaron wasn't called out just for any old reason. He was called out for the purpose of representing God to people, of being God to the people around him. And so he was covered in this anointing oil. 
We're called out for purpose and we are empowered. Okay, backtrack to the story of David. David was anointed in one chapter. The very next chapter of the story, we see David comes into a battle situation and he's empowered by the Spirit of God to actually do something about the circumstance around him. Now, we're not gonna, you're not necessarily, I can guarantee you, for a fact, you're not going to be slaying a giant on Lambton Key tomorrow, right? But you've got challenges where God's actually got, you're going to walk into tomorrow, right? that you need a little bit more going on than what's currently going on for the thing God's calling you to into, right? Right? All the people working in government, you've got a bit more going on coming up, right? There's a bit more going on. You need the anointing of God for the role God's calling you to play as the circumstances change around you. You need the empowerment of God's presence, right? Very, very good. Uh, the anointing positions us. Have a look in your own time at 1 Kings 19, 26. It talks about Elijah's given a job. And like in one sentence, God says, anoint this guy as king, anoint that guy as prophet in your place. So throughout the Old Testament, there were three people that were anointed. Prophets, priests, and kings were anointed to represent God in the position that God put them in. Whether that's in the, relig- the religious world, the, the government, I'm trying to think where prophets fit. Across both, right? Is that cool? So we're positioned by the anointing. The anointing of God comes upon us and actually positions us, puts us into a place of greater influence in a different place than we were in before. Uh, the anointing is about preparation. Right through the, right through the Old Testament in, and into the New Testament, this idea of anointing, the anointing oil, we, we've got over here, we've got like espresso cups because it's Wellington, it's, you know, it's topical. Uh, and we've got uh, olive oil, right? Someone was going to buy canola oil because it was cheaper, but uh, it says olive oil in the Bible, so we're using that. But the olive oil they used in the Bible wasn't like what you'd cook or eat with. It was olive oil, but that had then been perfumed, right? So it was, it was not a cooking product. It was a beauty product. Right or or a, a finished product, and it was always the last thing you did. Like the story ahead of of Aaron, we got all dressed in his priestly robes, and then the last thing they did is they put this anointing oil on. A bride preparing for a wedding would be the same. They'd get prepared for their wedding, and then they would be anointed with like fragrant oil, right, to create a fragrance around their life. You see the same picture where Jesus is is a, his feet are anointed by by a woman, as a woman at Bethany, right. Famous story in the Bible, she breaks a flask of oil and pours it out over his feet, and the fragrance of that fills the whole environment. The anointing of God actually prepares us for the things God's called us to. It also heals us. The end of Psalm 23 says that God prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and he anoints my head with oil. Right? Actually, right through the Old Testament, the, the uh, oil was used to anoint people for healing and it was actually practically used as a healing agent. I don't know how it was used, like, but they would use it to heal sick people, like actual healing agents, right? The last thing is that the anointing sets us apart. Check out Exodus 40 verses 9 to 11. I want you to read these this scriptures, all right? You can read the other ones in your own time because you've written them down, I'm sure. It says this, You shall take the anointing oil... And anoint the tabernacle. And what was the tabernacle? It was a large tent. Like I say, large tent. It was a massive tent. 
He'll anoint the tabernacle and everything that's in it. You shall hallow it and all its utensils, and it shall be holy. So throughout the tabernacle, they anointed all the tent posts and the, 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 the animal skins that were the edges of the tent. They anointed all the bowls and the basins and the altar and the candlestick. They covered it all with this fragrant oil, right? Setting them aside as holy. Now, we've got, we get the word holy and pure mixed up. They're related, they're really closely related words, but holy doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as pure, right? So we think God's going to make us pure, but first of all, God makes us holy. You can be holy, set apart, while God's still working on you. Like, I'm not perfect, but I am holy. I am set apart by God. The same with this tabernacle. It's just it's just animal skins and posts and, and utensils of various kinds, right? But the anointing sanctifies them, separates them, creates a space so they can be used for something different, for a higher purpose. It's set apart, right? So this is our Old Testament concept, right? Have we got it? That it, the anointing is about being called out. It's about purpose. It's about empowerment. It's about position. It's about preparation. It's about healing. And it's about holiness, set-apartness, sanctification. Did you catch the difference between holy and pure? Ari got it. If anyone has any questions, talk to Ari afterwards, as usual. <laughs> it's, it's not like I'm, God wants us to be pure, but when, when God says be holy as I'm holy, he's talking about we've got to be different. We've got to be different to everything else. We've got to be different to the culture around us. We've got to be different in a way that God is different. Is that cool? Okay, grab your Bibles. Uh, you've got to look at this in your Bible. So go, jump across to Acts chapter 2. So we've got an Old Testament concept that in the Acts chapter 2, is tra- this concept of anointing is transferred into the New Testament in a dramatic and surprising fashion. Okay? Everyone ready to be dramatically surprised? Put on your best dramatic face. Anthony, that's that's more studious, more of a studious face. Do a surprise face, Anthony. No, he's not going to. Okay. <laughs> okay, Acts chapter 2. Let's read this together. Is that all right? Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 21. Who's, who's read this story before? Yeah? So this is the birth of the church. And we what, what happens here is the Holy Spirit is poured out, which captures this idea of anointing, right? Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Wow. For these are not drunk. These people aren't drunk, as you're saying. It's only the nine o'clock in the morning. I'm translating into the new translations. Move over. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit. This This is the word, pour out. This is the anointing. I'll pour out. I'll pour the oil. I'll pour out my spirit. So there's this mysticalization of this spiritual anointing, right? Pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now, we read that because we've read it before in the Bible, but that is a shocking statement that Joel made, right? Because it's not supposed to be about daughters. It's only supposed to be about sons. So this pouring out is smashing human paradigms. Please understand the Old Testament is written in a human paradigm, sons, 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 and the New Testament smashing some human paradigms that are actually included in the Old Testament, right? 
We've got to be sensitive to this when we read it, that the New Testament is actually changing some of the Old Testament, right? We read it backwards, our Bibles, right? It says this, They'll pour, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and your daughters shall prophesy. It's black and white in the Bible. Your young men will see visions and your old men shall say, see dreams. So it's not about the mature man who's anointed by God to lead and have influence. It's about all flesh. Everyone say all flesh. Right? And on my men's servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Everyone say prophesy. Right? What does it mean to prophesy? Okay, let's leave to the side. wonders in heaven. We'll leave that for now, right? What does it mean to prophesy? Does it mean that to prophesy we need to grow long beards? Right? And long, un- stop cutting our hair. We need to get us, go down to Macro Beach, get ourselves a good stick. Right? And then we'll be able to prophesy. Does that mean I have to talk in a certain way? Do I have to say a certain thing? The, the, the prophetic is more about how we live in the world than just what we say. Right? The, the anointing comes upon us what, to call us out, to position us, to prepare us, to make us holy so that we prophesy. So that our life says something, even when we're not saying something, right? That we can prophesy, we can bring God into certain spaces, right? And it says that the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out, right? It's in the prophet Joel, it's in the book of Acts in Peter's sermon. The Holy Spirit is poured out that we can all live a life that says something about God. Which is why in churches like ours, the people who are the the pastors don't dress differently to everybody else. It's not because we don't like really snazzy clothes. I wouldn't mind a neat hat. Do you know what I mean? A habit of some sort. Do you know what I mean? Robes. Like I, I could pull it off. <laughs> right? But it's not because we lack the sartorial skills. But the reality is this. We don't dress different because it's we, we understand this passage from Acts chapter 2 to say to us that the Spirit of God comes upon all of us to anoint us for our purpose. And I pray that I'm anointed in my purpose and you're anointed in your purpose. Today, I'm on the preaching roster, so I pray I'm anointed to preach, right? But whatever you're called to do in your day today and in your week this week, you've got to understand the anointing of God is coming upon you and dwelling within you, His presence and His power, positioning you, enabling you, preparing you, equipping you, putting His power within you, sanctifying you and sending you apart for some role different to the one you played before. I think I am preaching as good as a human being can preach. You've got to understand this is so significant. This is central to who we are as a church. Without this reality, without the idea of this reality, we are not about the pastors. We are not about the ministry. We are about an army of people, a family that fight together, who are called by God to transform the world around us. We're saying we're being bold in Equipus Church Wellington. We're saying by 2020, we will have a measurable impact in the culture of our city. I can say that with confidence. I can set that as my vision. By 2020, we'll have a measurable impact on the culture of our city because I understand anointing. I understand Acts chapter 2 that says God pours His Spirit out on His people and allows us to prophesy. How are people going to know about Jesus? Are they going to see me on Instagram? No, they're going to see you picking your kids up after school. 
The people in your workplace are not going to see what, uh, what the, our graphics design team put, put together promoting the next sermon series. The message they will read is the way you live your life, the position you carry, the anointing carry. They'll smell it before you have to say it because the anointing creates a fragrance around your life. Amen? Everyone say, I'm anointed. Okay, so God puts his spirit out on men and women and the young and the old. Later on in the Bible, Paul says that there's no difference in the kingdom between males and females. And he adds another one, between Jews and Greeks or Gentiles and between slaves and free people. So Paul deliberately attacks, he attacks the culture of the day. He said there's no difference in the kingdom in terms of the kingdom realities between men and women in terms of what we can access in faith, in terms of the call that God places on our life. And Paul wasn't just joking. He positioned women leaders as elders and deacons and leaders over whole churches. Women lead household churches, right? He wasn't joking around when he said this. This is what he really believed and it was the action of his life, right? There's no difference between men and women, Jews and Gentiles. So God breaks racial division. we, We do racial division in New Zealand so subtly and so cleverly. We do it all with jokes. We do, it, we do it positively. Well, we just how we do it. We would we will assume that Luca can play the guitar because he's Maori. Right? That we create racial division because no one assumes that I can play the guitar. But do you know what? I can play the guitar. Right? But, but instead of seeing Luca, we just see, oh, slightly brown, probably Maori, right? And I'm not joking around. This is, that's real, right? We do this all the time, right? But the reality is when we look at each other like that, we miss the anointing that God will put upon somebody. Do you know there's something in Luca that we have to hear from heaven, right? That's got nothing to do even with who he is or where he's from or anything like that. God's put a message in him, a word in him that comes out of his life, and we need to take the blinders off our life. We've got to break the the idea of racial division, right? And slaves or free people. A lot of free people in the room. A lot of slaves in the room. The difference between a slave and a free person in New Zealand is whether you're winning in the system or losing in the system. There's people in the room, and you, you, the way New Zealand works doesn't work for you. I know that it's true, right? Some of us are struggling with life and finances and all that sort of stuff, and some of us aren't, Right? But there's not a division in terms of your value in the kingdom, your ability in the kingdom, your power in the kingdom. What are all the musicians come? Because we're going to wrap this up really quickly. Is that all right? Everyone say there's no difference. Which means we're all called out. We are all chosen. We are all positioned. We are all empowered. We are all sanctified by the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Himself that comes upon us in salvation. And this morning, we're going to finish our service by anointing everyone with oil. We're going to do it new school, which doesn't include pouring it over everybody. That's because we'll damage the floor. And more, probably more importantly for most of you, damage your clothing also. We're going to anoint you. So I'll pray for a few people, and those people will pray for a bunch of people, right? And all we'll do is we're going to take a small amount of oil, and we're going to smash it on your forehead. Smear it. Right. 
what we're doing is we're invoking the presence of God. We're instructed to do it when somebody's sick. Call the elders, anoint them with oil, pray a prayer of faith that they'll be healed. There's not magic oil that's from the supermarket. Right? But it's a real God who we're evoking. The real spirit of Jesus we're evoking over each other's life. Do you know why? Because we are going to have a measurable impact in the culture of our city. It's not by me preaching better and better. It's by all of us in the world around us actually carrying the anointing of God, the, the, the presence and the power of God residing in us. I've got one more scripture for you if you want. Oh, could I do two? I'm going to do two more at the risk of running over time. This is just for people who still think that you're ordinary. This is one of my favorite little pieces of, of prophetic word in the Bible. This is Zechariah chapter 14, and it's verse 20 and 21. You, none, of you, none of you have even read Zechariah, apart from Jonah, who's still doing his Bible for the year. Bible, he's still going, so he's into Zechariah now, right? In that day, that day is always about the time of Christ. We are in the day of the Lord. When Jesus was resurrected, that was the, the day of the Lord. We live in this epoch of God's grace. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. Isn't it? That's magical, isn't it? And the pots in the Lord's house, check this out. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Right? So that's this paradigm. What Matthias is doing on the sound desk is as important as what I'm doing as the minister. Right? The pots and the vessels are just as important as each other. Are you ready? Also, we just heard about the harnesses and the bells, right? Check this out. This is it. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judea shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. There's no outsiders anymore. There's no holy pots anymore. The pots on the altar and the pots in the house of God and the pots in every kitchen are all marked holiness unto the Lord. Well, I'm just an ordinary Christian, Jordan. Exactly. So is everybody else. This is, this is a normalization. This is a, an egalitarian society we're talking about that says there's no special people. There's only people who say, God, I'm going to be chosen. I'm going to be called. I'm going to embrace your presence. I'm going to live my life like that is stamped on me. You might think you're a special altar, a special pot before the altar. You might feel like an ordinary pot in a dusty old kitchen cupboard. But the reality is whoever we are, God chooses to use us. Did you get that? Okay, last one. 1 John 2.20. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. This is the Apostle John. He was freaking out about all the, the crazy teachings that were going on in the early church. And just You should study some of them. They're just they're crazy. But John says, you don't need to, I'm not worried about you because you have an anointing for the Holy One. That Jesus himself is present in your life, which creates a protection for us, but also means that we are anointed by God. Come on, e-group leader, you're anointed by God to lead your e-group. You're anointed by the presence of God, empowered by His Spirit within you. All the people serving in e-teams at church, we're serving anointed by God. That's why we get faster and faster, right? 
right? And we only lost one leg off the stage from last week, which is why there's a gap over here. You didn't know there was a gap here, did you? Because I hid it carefully at the back. But I was terrified for Duncan during the singing. But we're anointed by God when we lead in our eatings. We're anointed by God in it when we're serving in church. Do you know, we're anointed by God to be a mission into the world. When you drive your car home up your street today, you're anointed by God. When you park your car and you get out and you say hi to a neighbor, you're anointed by God. When you invite people into your home, they're anointing the power of the presence of God. You're able to minister to people with power. We're anointed in our workplaces. Come on, some of us are called to transform industries. We're called to work in business with an anointing. We're called to work in the fine arts with an anointing. We're called to work in government with an anointing. Right? Of any sphere, government is the one throughout the Bible that we can see God constantly positioned people inside government, anointed them for His purpose and His plan. Everybody said? It's all about Jesus, though, isn't it? We're gonna, someone's going to run down and get the kids from the kids' programs. We're going we're gonna to pray for them as well. But the last thing I want to say is, I don't know who's organized to do that, Rach. Should we, do you, is someone going? Yeah, go, Timo. Everyone give Tim a hand. It was supposed to be, I think it was supposed to be subtle, but I've spoiled that. It's actually all about Jesus. Just, ref, just reflect for a moment on what Liv's already shared this morning, just in her own story. Grew, grew up knowing Jesus, but, but when she stood up and talked today, Jesus wasn't an idea. Jesus was a real person who'd actually transformed her life. And for me, that's the most compelling thing you'll hear this morning is what, what Liv shared. And she didn't realize that God wasn't a God of shame, but now she does. What she knew before wasn't wrong, but she now knows God better than she ever did before. And that's, uh, we can only know God. We can only build relationship with God our Father through Jesus. Because of Jesus' sacrifice, because of his death and also his resurrection. It's only because Jesus died in our place, took penalty for us and then conquered sin, Satan, and death. It's only because of that that we can find salvation, that we can find freedom in our world. Trying really, really hard won't get you there. That's what Liv was saying. She decided to try really, really hard. Most of you are old enough to know that trying hard doesn't work, right? But isn't it something we have to keep learning, funnily enough? But the reality is, as Equipus Church, we believe in Jesus. We believe in His, His, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension to the highest point of heaven. We believe He's real and His Spirit is among us. Right? And it's His sacrifice for us that's made us free. The Bible is really clear that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts chapter 2 is like verse 21 of that scripture I cut short. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so this morning, why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads. If you're here this morning and you've not made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, why don't you do that now? In Equipus Church, all, all we do is we pray at the end of a service like this. Create a space where it's quietish, where you can reflect on your own life. Perhaps you've made a decision in the past, but for whatever reason, you've found yourself a long way away from God. You're welcome to take this opportunity to recommit and rededicate your life to Him. So you can do that this morning. But if you've never 
made the decision to follow Jesus, you can, you can make that decision today as well. To acknowledge Him as Lord. To call on Him. And when we call on Him, we're saved. We begin this journey of salvation where our lives are transformed. So just while everyone's sitting quietly, if you're here this morning and you want to make that decision today, why don't you just lift your hand and give me a wave? Say, that's me this morning. I want to make that decision to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord. I haven't seen anybody's hand yet. Once I've seen it, you can put your hand back down, and then we're going to pray in just a second. Either for the very first time or as a recommitment, you're saying, yeah, I'm acknowledging Jesus as my Savior. If that's you, just give me a wave, and then we'll pray. Awesome. That's cool down the front. Is there anybody else? Just catch me. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. Just one more time. If there's anybody else, give me a quick wave and say, yeah, I'm choosing to follow Jesus this morning. I'm making that decision. That's cool, church. Could we stand to our feet and pray together? There's two people responding for this this morning, which is awesome. But, you know, if you're too scared to lift your hand, you can pray this prayer and know that God's going to work in your heart in a powerful way. Is that okay? I'll pray a line of the prayer and then we'll all pray it together. Is that cool? That way we're in time. Here we go. Dear Jesus, I thank you for calling me. I thank you for choosing me. Jesus, I thank you for dying in my place. I choose to acknowledge you, God, as my Lord and my Savior. I'm asking today for you to be with me. It's my decision to follow you from today and forever. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a shout of praise? Is that cool? What we're going to do is we're going to worship God. So the band are going to lead us in a song. And then I've just got, I've chosen about five or six people that I'm just going to pray and anoint them with oil. And then they're just going to turn around and then you can just come forward. So they'll just come forward. Then I'll pray for them and then they'll turn around and then we'll pray for people. Is that all right? I reckon we'll get it all done. We're not going to be here all day doing this. That's why I've got five or six people praying. Is that cool? Uh, and uh, we're going to, if, once you've been prayed for, just keep worshiping God. Uh, if you're waiting to be prayed for, just worship God. And we're going to believe for it to be awesome. Is that cool? Very cool.